Gonzaga Nation SI, Dan Dickow here alongside fellow co-host Adam Morrison. One of these days we're going to flip the script and you're going to be the one who does the introing because I know you've got experience in that. Yeah, we could we could work that in eventually, but uh, you're a little more experienced on that. <laughs> we'll shoot for next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll flip the script. That's for sure. Uh, but it's nice to be back in in studio in person. I know we've done some in person. We've done some in Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a little different. It's a little uh, more kind of fluid yeah. in person. So. Well, it's easier to uh, you know read what people are thinking about and kind of body language and all that stuff, and then. Um, you know, you don't have my kids screaming in the background in Zoom, so it's, it's <laughs> that part of it. Uh, that is way. that is true. I, I have the same thing. I uh, I close the door to my office mm-hmm. at home typically and hope that my little three year old doesn't come in. <laughs> the The best I have as far as a business type setting for a Zoom. Last year, I was calling a game remote from home for CBS Sports, and I closed the door right, but I didn't kind of put something up against the door to not yeah, allow it, it to get yeah. open. So the game is going on. Luckily, it was at a timeout. My three-year-old, she was at two at the time. She came in to, <laughs> to the uh, to my office during a live broadcast. My wife saw it. She army crawled to get her yeah. out of my office <laughs> awesome. on live TV with CBS. Uh, but at least it was a, during a timeout. It yeah. was a commercial break. So that would have been interesting had it been on a live setup. It would have gone viral. And maybe that would have been a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> There's no such thing as bad press, I guess they say. But yeah, that's pretty funny. Surprised you don't do locker like uh, like you said. You throw like a chair in front of it to see if that extra. I just forgot that day. Yeah. Usually I pushed uh, pushed up a stool and a chair. Yeah. So that nobody came in, but yeah. I forgot that day. Well, lesson so, learned. I guess so. But well, let's let's get back to the topic at hand, and that's Gonzaga. They are mm-hmm. no, no longer the number one ranked team. I'm so not bad. surprised. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. Have you seen Auburn play at all this year? I've watched a little bit, like a half of a game when we're on the road, and obviously Bruce Pearl's a great coach. They play up and down, uh, kind of in your face. The SEC is a lot better than it has been in the past. Yeah. Top to bottom. I mean, we saw what Alabama did to us. LSU's decent. Obviously, Kentucky's always a, a team, and then Auburn. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, no surprise. We always take a little bit of dip when we get into the West Coast Conference. That's not a knock on the conference, but in, in history, you know, the last 20 years, your RPI takes a dip. You're kind of yeah. used to that. So having the AP go from two to one or vice versa, it's not that big of a deal in my mind. You're yeah. just, you're playing for a number one seed. One of the, one of the four seeds in March. That's yeah. How I think it's more, it. I think the number one ranking at this point in the program mm-hmm. is more for the fans I, I as opposed to the program and the players. I, I think I remember clearly the first time Gonzaga was ranked number one, yeah. the excitement that, that we all had yeah. like, Hey, Gonzaga finally broke through. What was the highest they ever were ranked when you were there? I think we were six or five, maybe. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and then we, I think we were right around when we played Memphis and lost at their place. Then we, it was one of those December games where instead of, or in the middle of uh, conference play where we just played one of those one-offs and we played Cal's team in Memphis and lost by six or something like that. But I think we got to six or five. Yeah. Um, and that was fine for us, obviously. But I think it was Kelly's year, right? Yeah, it um, was. His last year with David and uh, Leah, some of that crew, they that they finally made number one. Yeah. My group, we got to six yeah. um, at the end of the year. And then we were a six seed. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because that, yeah. that brings back bad memories. <laughs> but you said the game against Memphis when Coach Calipari was the head coach. Yeah. I wish that the league – 
would do like one of those ACC Big Ten challenges yeah. with another league, but not in November or December like the other leagues do it, but do it right now yeah, like because January. Yeah. you're exactly right. I mean, you get into the, the dog days of the WCC, your RPI, your Ken Palm, your net, a lot of times will unfortunately dip yeah. if you play the wrong two or three teams in a row. Exactly. Um, I, I wish they would do that. But tell me about that because I think it, if if it's the game I'm thinking of, it was a tremendous story with Coach Calipari, and, and was it Chris Douglas Roberts? No, it was in CDR. It was uh, uh, Sean something. He played in the league for 10 years. Good player. Oh, Sean Williams. Sean Williams. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I think it was – Fuey always tells me that Cal always tells this story. He's like, hey, at shoot-around, he's like, don't mess with this guy. Like, just – guard him and but like don't talk to him just play you know we're obviously more talented blah 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 and one of them started yapping i mean it was sean williams during a time or during a like an and one or something and uh and then i had a really good game going the rest of the way but the way cal tells the story is obviously better you know and so we felt like we had that game won um, and he actually did a good job defensively against me. I didn't think I didn't score the last seven minutes or something like that. And that game I had 34, but I was playing well. Um, they had Kyle Lowry still in the league, Sean Williams, CDR. Um, I think they had Dorsey might've been a freshman or like one of those bigs yeah. in Memphis. That's, you know, always sniffs around the league as well. Um, so yeah, it was a really, uh, fun game and it was kind of cool to go play there just out of one off. And then the next year they came here in the, arena and beat us yeah and i think few was like i'm done playing <laughs> that was a that was a really fun series yeah um because i think it was like a four or five years in a row yeah. where they played, played because i happened to be i don't remember what team i was with we were playing the grizzlies the next day mm-hmm. and so i got to go to the gu memphis game mm-hmm. and that crowd was yeah th- there was a better crowd for the college game yeah. the day before than it was the grizzlies granted i was always on bad nba teams yeah. but that was a great atmosphere well i think and it was good for both teams like you were talking about earlier their league wasn't what were they the conference usa at yeah. the time so it was kind of the same thought process like hey to get another high level game and even if we lose it's going to help us better than you know just another conference game or what have you um so this the series did make sense um so hopefully they can you know figure something out later down the road maybe you know with only nine wcc teams with byu leaving either next year or the year after for the big 12 maybe that's one of those where yeah you go Okay, well, what's the other conference you asked? You asked like the AAC or something like that, or I think, like I think the top of the AAC is really good, but yeah. the bottom is, I guess you could say it's comparable to but the you WCC. Could do yeah. WCC AAC challenge. Yeah. I don't know if that you know that that's not exactly like the Big Ten AACC challenge, but I think if you're a team like St. Mary's, San Francisco, B, excuse me, not a BYU, but like they would want those games as well. Like if they're a fringe tournament team, they can go play a top hundred team or a top 50 team quad one game. If you get a win, obviously that's going to help you. So that'd be interesting if they ever think about that because there'd be only nine West coast conference teams. Yeah. I I think it would be great. I I think, you know, that's the idea that USF had when there was that COVID pause with Mm -hmm. a lot of teams, they went and played Loyola Chicago and that loss didn't even hurt them. No, it actually benefited them. I think uh, in the, in the net ratings, but um, let's go to the USF now. Yeah. They punched Gonzaga in the mouth the first five, six yeah. minutes. Uh, what did you see from your vantage point in Radio Row? I thought it was, um, I like when coaches try different things. And we talked about a couple episodes ago about 
what would you do if you were an opposing coach? I'm like, zone them. Yeah. And they did that in the first half, and it was a three-point game. They were up 11, talking about USF, was up 11 at one point. I think the one-two-two zone was uh, the right thing to do. Um, Bouye is a great player. He's been there forever. Um, yeah. he's, he's fantastic, <laughs> though. He's a good, really good guard. Um, so I wasn't surprised that it was close in the first half. And I mean that honestly, because I think Todd Golden's a fantastic yeah, coach. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and there was we played them close. Aside from last year, remember there was two games down in San Francisco two years in a row that we could have lost. And there was one that we got – I mean, we got in the bonus with like eight minutes to go, and that's mm-hmm. the only way we could score. I think it was Rui's group. Yeah. Perks group and like we barely got out of there and I was looking at, at Todd Golden after because we have you know we say hi to each other and he was just like I was like yeah I know like we got a whistle okay <laughs> you know and he got it but yeah. it was just like yeah you guys should have won um so I wasn't surprised I was a little bit surprised on how uh Timmy started off slow and I'm not saying that guys can't have bad games but I thought he kind of rushed things early um you know and he's missing chippies that happens but he was missing ones that were like six foot jump hooks yeah. that he nor- and he's like leaving them short so i was like is he you know, maybe under the weather not COVID, obviously but like under the weather or um but he did a good job later in the game but i was really impressed with san francisco's actions and their scheme and their their um defensive philosophy with that zone in the first half. What do you think? You yeah. called the game. Well, I thought the zone was great. Yeah. Just kind of kept Gonzaga on their toes a little bit. But the the interesting thing that I I found was Timmy would catch the ball in the trail situation like he or Holmgren does a lot. Yeah. Uh, the big whoever was matched up on Timmy was in the paint. Yeah. Like, it in, makes, but it, it makes total sense. It does because he's, I think he's hit like what, four threes he's on the like year? Four. Probably four of like eighteen or something. He's like a that. good enough shooter to want to shoot it, yeah. but then it's taking Gonzaga out of all their strengths that they have in the different actions. And then, it, it, say they with Timmy, you go to a dribble ball screen or a dribble handoff or mm-hmm. a ball screen action. You have to worry about guarding the action and then getting back to Timmy. Yeah, where if you're kind of playing way back in the paint. You're putting a second thought in Timmy's mind, like, oh, this is a good shot. This yes. is a horse shot, and and you would know. Horse shots, wide open shots so are harder, harder yeah, than out of the rhythm, too, than, especially when you know, like, especially like you said, trail. If it's early in the clock, you're probably not supposed to take that. But then in the back of your mind as a player, we're probably not going to get a wide open shot yeah. later in the clock. So then you're, you get tempted into taking them. Um, so, yeah, it, it was interesting, but I, it was finally like, you know, and they were playing them as left shoulder, right hand jump hook, like they were covering that side. And it was like, yay, finally somebody watched film. <laughs> yes. WCC, you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm just like, and, you know, obviously I want Gonzaga to win, but I want to call good games. Yeah. I, I think playing a tough conference game late in the season in January, it, it serves us way better purpose than blowing teams out and scoring 110, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there, there's pros and cons to everything. So I think having that uh, type of first half was good for us for sure. Yeah. Well, and if you look big picture at the schedule, Gonzaga – should take care of business at the rest of the way at home, but yeah. you, they still have to go at BYU. Yes, tough they game. still have to go at St. Mary's, and they're at USF. Mm-hmm. Now, th- that's a big ask of those teams to beat Gonzaga. That the word there, the way Gonzaga is playing. Yeah, but those are three difficult places to play with three solid teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at 
that last weekend. It's at St. Mary's and at USF back-to-back. That's going to be interesting if Gonzaga has had no slip-ups, if they got to finish it that way to go undefeated in conference again. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, BYU is always tough. They they draw well, but that St. Mary's gym gets crazy in there. And they can't stand Gonzaga. I mean, you go to this game and <laughs> we're buddies with uh, Alex, who's the radio guy. He's a great guy. And he, even he has his great game face on yeah. during that. He's like, hey, Alex. And, uh, you know, and he's like, <laughs> all right, man. he's cool. Like, he's awesome. We've had beers with him before. But, like, they're they're excited to beat us. Yes. And they should have beat us a couple times where, you know, it's like one of those you get out of there like, eh, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that's a tough stretch. Undefeated in conference. Did you go? Did you guys ever go undefeated in conference? I did no. it twice. We lost my junior year. I think we had two losses. Yeah. And my senior year, we lost once. Yeah. Well, I, we went undefeated my freshman, then junior, and my my second, and my sophomore, we lost twice. We still won the league tournament. Um, but it's a cool thing, and it uh, you know to kind of have in your resume as a team. You know, yeah. cause every every group has their yeah. What did you guys do? And blah 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 and. You know, I never lost at home. That's one of my things I always bring up to old ex-players. Like, hey, I never lost in both buildings. So how do you, how do you like that? Um, so, um, yeah, that's going to be a, a good stretch because St. Mary's is in the top 40, right? Yeah. San Francisco should be in the top 40 if they, you know, take care of business after our, our loss um, or at least be in the top 50 or close to a quad one win. So those those are good wins that will help your resume years past. It was one of those, even if you win, it didn't really do anything for yeah. you. So it's great for the league. Um, so hopefully our guys can uh, continue to handle business. But again, that first half at San Francisco game was great because we were down 11, played through adversity. They played Timmy the way I think you should play him, um, you know, back off of him and then shade to his left shoulder. Yes, he's got counters to everything. Yeah. But don't let him get comfortable and make a couple of those left hand or left shoulder, right hand jump hooks. And then um, it's just, you know, that adversity and having to come back is just better for us long-term, in my opinion. Um, so, And I always like what San Francisco runs. Yeah, they, they do a really good job good of spacing the floor yeah. and then dribble, ha- dribble, dribble handoff hand actions. They call it come-together actions where a big will have the ball up top mm-hmm. and then two guards or two wings, whatever it is in that situation, will come together. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's a back screen flare or if it's a screen to a slip yeah. or curl and then a pop uh and i think they do a really nice job of kind of hiding that stuff that they're getting into before you know one action and then get it to the second side and then it's one of those come together yeah no and it makes it difficult to switch all those things like you said because it's it's not predictable yeah um and then you get your guards going you know downhill against closeouts man more if they can curl like bouye was doing you know dribble handoff curl and get into the paint i thought Poor Shabazz was trying to have a really good game, kind yeah. of shot him, shot him out of it, you know, a little yeah. bit in stretches. And then they had probably four turnovers in the second half that were just bad, you know, bad. Come down, guys wide open and just throw it wide. You know what I mean? Like, how do you how did you turn it over? Um, but I've always liked Todd Golden as a coach. Cool dude, too. Yeah. Young guy. You hope he keeps having success and maybe, you know, nothing against San Francisco, but can go to a, a bigger program eventually yeah. where he can recruit a little bit better or have an opportunity at a bigger school. Um, but yeah, I've always liked playing that team because it's like when they had Ferrari, like the last couple of years, they just run good stuff mm-hmm. and it's fun to watch. Well, he's a, obviously he was the associate head coach under Kyle Smith. Yeah. Kyle was there three years. Now he's at Washington state. So I, I would imagine in the back of his mind, 
he knows if he does well, yeah, he'll have a have chance to advance as a coach. But he's also, I mean, he was the director of ops at Auburn under Bruce Pearl. So, mm. I mean, he's got a network yeah. uh, and he both experienced at our level as well as that kind of power five level. Yeah. Um, stay on the, the topic of, of Auburn, though. They got a guy, Jabari Smith, a freshman who's being talked about like Chet like Banchero at Duke, yeah. possible number one pick. I thought this was the best game that I saw Holmgren play. Would you agree? Yeah, I thought he was <clears throat> really assertive offensively. He kind of bailed him out in that run, too, when they went up 11. He kind of went down and got baskets that were, you know, like talent baskets or however you want to call it. Not running I like action. that, talent baskets. You know what I mean? Yeah, we just got just, more dudes than you. We're yeah, gonna give it to we're the just going to throw it to the best guy, and, and he's 7-1, and good luck, yeah. you know. And so – I like how he's been more assertive offensively. I thought early in the year he was passing up too many three-point attempts. Um, now he's starting to shoot them. Um, you know, he's been fantastic around the rim defensively. So, yeah, I thought he played great. I mean, it's it's one of those things, too. It's always a quiet, productive night. You know what I mean? And, and this last game he was a little bit more assertive and it was a little bit more eye, eye-popping in front of you. But there's games where I'm like, did Chet do anything? Then you yeah. look at the stat, you go to the, the post-game show, and I'm like, well, he was six of nine. He had 16 points, 11 rebounds, <laughs> yeah. three blocks. And you're like, okay, like I can't really sit there and nitpick this, you know, in yeah. 22 minutes sometimes, you know. And, and so, yeah, I thought he played fantastic. And hopefully he can continue to, uh, you know, st- be more physical. And what I've liked about him all year long, and I've said this on our broadcast on the radio, is like he's been knocked down so many times. Kid pops up every yes, he's single tough. He's tough. Yeah. And that's what I want people to understand. Like, you know, I know his frame is, is light. Doesn't mean he's not a tough, hard nosed kid and he doesn't deliver elbows back and stuff like that. Like, he's never shying away from contact. And I've been really impressed with that, yes. honestly, because I was like, all right, you know, like your frame's your frame. I'm a skinny guy. Like, guys are going to test you. Period. You know what I mean? They're but he's see- the one, more times than not, he's the one applying the, the, exactly. the blow. They're going to, so when you do that, you're you're less likely to get injured Ex- or hurt. Exactly. Like guys are going to test you and see how tough you really are. And if you're delivering, um, you know, the first blow or like you're, you know, sharpening your elbows up, yeah. <laughs> you know, like guys, guys, okay, you're tough. I'm not going to like go after you unnecessarily. And then it's, you know, it's kind of that basketball code. Like, oh, this guy can deliver one back. Yeah. And like, if I hit him, like I'm going to get one back. So I, I'm not going to do it. Um, but I've just been really impressed with that aspect of his game. And then, you know, in the last five or six, he's starting to shoot the ball from the outside, which really helped. I think that's a big difference maker. You know, he's shooting it with, not that he was hesitant, but there's no, like, yeah, it's just hesitation. It's yeah. catch, catch and go. Yeah. Catch and shoot right away. You know, I mentioned Jabari Smith. I mentioned Banchero mm-hmm. and, and Holmgren. Those are probably the three guys that are mentioned most as the possible number one pick. Yeah. And people ask me this walking around all the time or when I'm doing different broadcasts, is, is Holmgren the number one pick? I said, it depends on who has that pick. It's because I think all three of those guys can be worthy of that number one pick, but it has to be fit. Yeah. I mean, when you were drafted third, mm-hmm. what did what made you lead, what led you to believe that Charlotte is where you were going to go, or did you have other thoughts of where you might go? I didn't really know where I was going to go, to be honest. Like, I had a good workout with, I knew I wasn't going to go number one to Toronto, whoever had it. They had Bar- Bargnani? Bargnani. So, okay. like, uh, that, my agent was like, You're not, they're picking Bargnani. And so, okay, you know, best I mean? agent out there, Mark Bartlestein. Mark Bartlestein, exactly. <laughs> uh, so then we, um, I worked out for Chicago, I worked out for Charlotte. 
Toronto, obviously they brought me in. And then I think I did one more. I can't was it Portland? Portland. I did Portland. So like my agent was like, you're going to either be one, one or five, you know, or yeah. two or five. Um, so yeah, I didn't really have an idea. And I think now it's a little bit, uh, it's more business-like approach. I think as far as, like you said, like guys kind of just don't really care if they're going to be the two or the four because the money's really not the difference because it's all slotted anyway. So, I yeah. mean, there's a little bit of difference, but not – it's life-changing money, but not life-changing when you get that level. Do you yeah. get what I'm trying to no, say? No, 100% because a fit will fit, lengthen your career. Exactly. So, yeah. like, if you're in a better fit, uh, a lot of guys and, – and this happens for second-round guys too. It's so like some guys I know that are like have had agents be like, don't draft my guy. Yes. Don't. Because I know he can make I, the league. Like, I, do not draft him. Pretty sure him. that was Joel's case. Really, that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I know there's lots of guys that have been that same way. Don't, don't because draft my because guys. just to give context to the listeners. Like, second round picks are not guaranteed. Most people know that, but if you don't, so if you're going to a place that sometimes doesn't keep second round picks, you're wasting your camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you have to get picked up, or then you know get sent down, which is not a bad thing. But like, if you go to a place where like a team's like, hey, man, like he could be our fourth big and maybe work at our third big into the rotation, and we're going to take him on a minimum deal. You'd rather go to that place, yeah. like where they like you, and they're just like, yeah, like we'll sign him right now. We'll, we'll sign him to a two-way boat. Like if you play well, kind of like Killian's done with Memphis, we're going to give you a two-year deal you know, and, and give you an opportunity. Now, if you go to a place that's just kind of like, oh, we had, to, we had to make a pick, so we just you're the next guy available. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. We don't really care. We, we we had thoughts of bringing in a veteran guy, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of weird how that uh, plays out for certain dudes, especially like in the second round. Like, you know, because there's a lot of good players that you know come from the second round, yes. but like it is about fits. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really matter where you get picked in that after that spot. It's like who's your coach? Who's on the roster? Do they actually believe in you? Or are they just blowing smoke up yet you know yeah because a lot of times the second round pick will be let's just go stash in europe and then they'll never make it back yeah yeah and that's that's a tough one um so we had a question from a listener last Mm -hmm. week let's wrap up this episode with a listener question as well and somebody sent in this for each of you guys who was the best wcc player that you played against while in the league oh let me think so First guy that usually it's the first guy that comes to mind was probably Daniel Kickert from St. Mary's. St. Mary's Aussie, right? He yeah, started he the Aussie. pipeline. Yep, he started the pipeline for them. Um, was big and he was kind of a hybrid back then because he could step out and shoot, which no, you know nobody. He was a pick and pop guy, um, which nobody did in their early two thousands. Um, if I saw him now, I'd still try to elbow him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he was not the cleanest player yeah. on the planet. So let's just say that, but he was very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, him and Roni used to get after it. Uh, and he was, he was on the, he was always on the edge of taking it too far, but he, he straddled that line. Yeah. And so, like I said, like I've seen him now, like jerk you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Those like, are the guys you love on your team, but you hate playing against. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He was a good player. Yeah. Interesting. Well, for me, um, you, you know, Pepperdine was really good at the time. They had a couple guys that were borderline NBA guys, Devin Montgomery, uh, Glenn McGowan, Jimmy mm-hmm. Miggins. But my junior year, they had Brandon Armstrong, and he left early for the NBA draft. He played two or three years with the, the 
the New Jersey Nets, that guy could just flat out go get you a bucket. Really? Like it was, he was lefty. He was long. He's like six, four, um, kind of like a skinnier version of Zach Norvell yeah. where like he's lefty. So well, you're just a little bit awkward to guard, yep. but he's explosive and he can get his shot off. And lefties a lot of times have that little lean, lean back yep. where you're already kind of off with your cadence defensively. And then they just create that little bit extra uh, space. He was unbelievable. Yeah. So good. So, well. Did he he bust your ass? Of course he did. (laughs) Coach Few on more than one occasion has told the two of us, hey, you're two of the three worst defenders in in school history. Whatever. Yeah. Well. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. You know. Got you a lot of wins here. (laughs) Pat, pat, pat. (laughs) The third worst is another guy that we both know well. Jared Rabio. Vancouver Rab- guy, and you played with him. Yeah, Rab wasn't that bad a defender. There's some been some other bad ones. If we want to really go down the line, he's just he likes to jab us because we're you know doing the games. We're the media. We're the enemies. Yes. So it's just like okay, <laughs> we are the enemy. yeah, all right. We're man. friendly. We're friendly enemies, though. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't. Uh, I call the games. Uh, you do the same. We call unbiased, but like, yeah, I mean, we don't uh, hammer unnecessarily or just yeah. try to stir up the pot. But yeah, like. Uh, we were our teams were bad defensively. Yours was probably too comparative, but they're comparing it to now. I'm like, well, well now they got they have rim protectors. They've got defensive length on the perimeter in all like, positions. It's not fair to compare the defensive numbers. Offensively, we were good. Yeah, we're, we weren't the number one offense in the country, but we were. That's where we. That's where we gained our success. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like, so like we played zone because we had to like I had to stay on the floor yeah. like we had to keep Roni out of foul trouble so like just calm down here on like how bad defensively you guys are the ones that were coaching us <laughs> yeah. so Billy Greer yeah, yeah it's like what, whose fault is it you guys were the ones that didn't develop us defensively now it now it's our fault that we didn't develop magically out of thin air yeah as eighteen year old kids I had so I had a fan one time ask me like you would know this because of the 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 defensive calls we yeah. have. How come after you guys always score a basket, you raise There's two your hands, hands in your fist like you're cheering? I'm like, yeah. no, I'm signaling. We're going We're zone. zone. <laughs> We're yep. playing zone. Yep, 23, get back. Exactly. So, Adam, great episode. Uh, great to recap the USF. We'll be back, and we'll preview the upcoming week. So for Gonzaga Nation SI, Adam Morrison and Dan Dickow.